Welcome to Value Adds Value, a podcast for teachers brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development. My name is Kyle Krieger, and along with Wilkie Law, we want this podcast to be a place where teachers can come to speak their truth. Because ultimately, we don't think there's anything more important that teachers can do for students than to speak their truth and to tell their story. We call this podcast Value Adds Value because that's the core principle and belief of our nonprofit Lighthouse Educator Development. When you add value to yourself, you will add value to your colleagues and more importantly to your students. So with this podcast, we provide teachers a space to tell their stories and inspire other educators. So thanks for tuning in to Value Adds Value. Welcome to Value Adds Value, a podcast for teachers. My name is Kyle Krieger. I am thrilled once again to be joined by my guy, Wilkie the Law the Third. Will, what's good? Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Having a great day today. Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing our second episode recording today. So the episode you heard last week with uh, Daylene, uh, we recorded shortly before we recorded this one because you're on spring break and we're trying to to knock these guys out but uh yeah man it's all good it is all good maximizing time yeah and we are really excited to have a fellow podcaster and educator on this episode of value adds value whitney choate whitney how are you hey i am great i have just a one day spring break so i'm enjoying it today (laughs) you only got one day yep Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> it's pretty pretty sad. <laughs> you get done with school, like, Memorial Day weekend then? Uh, yeah, we're done the week before Memorial Weekend. So I would rather do that and have more summer than a week randomly in the middle. So <laughs> when, when do you guys start up school in the fall? Uh, we start uh, about usually typically August 15th-ish, give or take. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Saying, we go through the 31st and we get I, I need it this week I'll say that mm-hmm. I need this week it was a this has been a rough year of transition for me because going back into the classroom so yeah maybe next year I could push through a little bit better but this year I needed a break <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> yeah and you and opened we all up have a, those years <laughs> right right yeah and open up a opening up a brand new school will that's yeah, that's a daunting a challenge. Task. And everybody, everybody warned me beforehand saying, hey, opening the school is no fun. And I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. You get to set the culture. And, <laughs> and then no, no. Because you don't have a lot of those things in place that, you know, that, that just pop up on a daily basis that's brand new that you don't have systems. So you're building those systems as you're working in it. But yeah, as you're putting out fires. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, all right, so Whitney, to get started, could you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you teach and, and what your background is, please? Yeah, I am from the great uh, city of St. Louis, but I no longer live there. I met my husband while going to school in Kentucky, and we currently live in southeast Missouri in Charleston, and I teach uh, up in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is about a half an hour, 45 minutes north Um I'm in my eighth year of teaching. I currently teach high school special education, and I'm also a part-time instructional technology specialist or kind of an instructional coach, and I teach a wide variety of subjects. Like I, every year is something different, and I wear a ton of hats, and 
you know, I just, I love it. I love being with my kids. I love working with my coworkers. Like it's phenomenal. Hmm. And those eight years, have they been at the same school or? No, I did my first four years at a small rural school. I did seventh and eighth grade special ed where I was the only special ed teacher. And now I'm in a bigger school system. And for the, these last four years, and I have a staff that is, I don't know, about 12 to 15 in my department versus being like the only one. So it's, a, it's an awesome change to like share the, the burden and the workload. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So if so if you're from St. Louis, that probably makes you a Cardinals fan, doesn't it? Um, I guess so. I have to say that with my mom, but I really just hate the Cubs more than I actually like oh, the Cubs. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, I hate the Cubs. Yes. As, as a as a lifelong Milwaukee Brewer fan, I have grown to despise the Cubs. But I will say though. I've despised the Cubs less over recent years because I'm an adult and I realize that sports are like not as important as they were when I was like in college. <laughs> but uh, I will say Wrigley, I've, I've been to Wrigley once and it is, it is something if you're a baseball fan that every, every baseball fan should go to Wrigley. It's pretty. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So um, could you kind of uh, in your experience, tell our listeners a story that, that illustrates why you got into the profession or or why you've chosen to stay in this profession? Yeah, well, there's, I think, two main components to why I got into education. My mom uh, was a fourth grade teacher for over 40 years. She finally just retired, (laughs) I think, last year or something, and she was still doing part-time gigs here and there uh, as a reading specialist. But Growing up, she was in a different district than we lived in. She was in a neighboring district. And so our, you know, days off, like professional development days and, you know, just holidays and things didn't always align. And I was an only child. So my mom just like drugged me with her. She had a really cool principal that was like, yeah, that's cool. As long as she can behave herself, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. And so I spent like my spring break in my mom's classroom. I spent random holidays. I mean, I was in my mom's classroom at least once a month. And, you know, I was able to work with the kids, even in, even though she was teaching fourth grade in third grade, like she would still let me do certain things like grade papers or give a spelling test. And the older I got, the more that I did with her kids and even other teachers in her building, just helping out randomly doing different things. And so I was just kind of always in that educational system and just lived and breathed it. I knew exactly what my mom was going through. I saw a lot of the negative side of being in education where she was doing house calls on a kid that she hadn't seen in three days and wondering if he was alive, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, having those heartbreaking conversations about students or she would always be bringing papers to grade home. I mean, she would have bags of different things that she had to grade and do and the time that she spent on that. So, you know, growing up with that, I knew that aspect of exactly what I was getting into. Um, knowing that it wasn't always going to be easy. But then the other reason I got into education uh, has a lot to do with me personally. Uh, I was a struggling reader. And in second grade, I did like I was put in a remedial reading class. It wasn't special ed or anything, but just a little extra boost. And I was still struggling, struggling. And finally, my mom and dad, my mom being an educator, knew something was off. She knew I had intelligence, but something wasn't clicking. I wasn't figuring out that puzzle of reading and different things. 
and I was struggling with other subjects as well. And so she got me tested and I found out that I had central auditory processing disorder. And so with that learning disability, like I, I like I remember telling my mom and she always uses a statement. She's like, it was one of the most memorable moments for her. I looked at her after she told me my diagnosis and was like, I'm not stupid anymore. Like that, that doesn't mean I'm stupid. Cause I apparently had thought that I was like a dumb as a box of rocks and that wasn't the case. I actually had an above average IQ, but I couldn't, you know, compensate with this disability. And unfortunately, like my school district did, uh, didn't want to put me on an IEP or even just a 504. They're like, she's getting A's and B's and you know, she's doing just fine. But they didn't see all the struggles that I was doing at home to compensate for that. Like I learned to type back in the 90s when people having computers was still really new and I learned how to compensate that way and you know all these different things throughout my life and it goes on and on I could talk about it for days because it's fascinating to me at least but you know those different things and the struggles that you know I went through and the things that the specialist told me that I was never able I you know she'll never be able to play an instrument she'll never be able to go to college bull um I was in marching band for seven years did pet band for eight years you know, I have helped out with our high school marching bands um, at the both schools that I was at and different things. I went on to college. I have a master's degree. Like, and so those experiences have really like shaped me. I always wanted to be a teacher in the classroom, proving to my students that despite whatever you're doing, um, that it, you, you can overcome it as long as you work really hard and you're, you know, a go-getter, then, you know, the door's wide open. So do you believe that your experience uh, then as a struggling reader, because I was, I was a struggling reader growing up, um, could read well, but had no comprehension skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, thought, oh, something, something's wrong with him. They tried to give me different diagnoses. And my mom was like, well, no, I'm not going to accept it. And it wasn't until I was in college that I realized that I had a professor who sat down with me and said, you write really well. It's amazing that you don't understand what you're reading. And, and I told him, I said, I listen really well. You know, that was my overcompensation. So do you find yourself now, based on those experiences when you're in the classroom, does, does that change the, the level, I guess you could say, the level of empathy that you have for the kids that you're serving? For sure. And I really, like, I don't tell my kids right off the bat that you know, I've struggled or anything, not that I want to keep it a secret, but I kind of like purposely save it for moments when I know a kid is at like a moment, I don't want to say of despair, I feel like that's a little dramatic, but they're at a struggling moment. And then I'm like, hey, John, like, I have a learning disability. I've gone through this exact same thing. I know exactly how you're feeling. Look how good I turned out, not to brag that I'm amazing or anything like that, but like, look at all the crap that I've overcome you can do it too. Or a lot of times my kids will be like, Oh, I'm just slow. I'm slow. I'm dumb. And I'm like, bull crap. You are not. And I go off on a tangent. I'm like, then you're calling me dumb if you're calling yourself dumb. And that usually kind of shuts them up and they have a different perspective, but you know, it's a little tough love, but it's also a lot of heart behind, behind that. And you know, we have a good relationship after that conversation happens. Mm. Mm, yeah. So, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast, Tough Talk with Teachers? And, and what is, I always love to ask, you know, other podcasters what their experience has been. So what is your show about and, and what's your experience been? 
Yeah. So our podcast is, I mean, I was going to say pretty awesome. Well, of course, everybody's going to say their podcast is pretty awesome, <laughs> but um, it was started before I was in the picture uh, with my co-host, Jonathan, and um, another principal, and they were kind of rolling with it. It was just kind of a random sporadic kind of thing, and then she got moved to a different building, and so he was kind of like, well, should I continue this or, you know, uh, what, what should happen with this? And so I, he just said, Hey, Whitney, you want to join in? I'm like, heck yeah, let's do it. Because we both don't have kids right now. We're both kind of like gung ho, like, let's just jump in, do something crazy. And so we've really spent since about October jumping in and trying to rebrand our podcasts and, um, just kind of formalize it and make sure there's cohesion and, you know, learning all the tech stuff behind it and everything. But our podcast focuses you know, on the tough stuff that teachers deal with, like what's really hard in education, but trying to take like that positive spin on it. What can we do to make something so terrible or awful or not so fun and make it better? Or what can we learn from other people who are on a positive side of that? So like we had one of our episodes was about like side hustles. Like it sucks that a lot of us have to work all these extra jobs or, you know, just, just to try to be a typical middle-class person and because our paychecks don't always uh, live up to that. And so, you know, I have a bunch of other jobs. And so that was a really powerful conversation that we had with other, other educators. And we're actually going to be doing a follow-up episode on that because it was so popular. And just giving suggestions like, hey, you could do this. You could do that. Here's a couple bucks here. There's a couple, you know, a couple bucks there where you could get into something more formalized and do more. Or um, our episode that was a couple weeks ago was about like, uh, arts and music and education. Is it really gone? Is it really dead? We've been hearing about it for decades now, like that the arts are leaving education, but where is it really at and how can we incorporate that into our classroom despite whether our schools have a actual art music program or not? So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's an that's a super interesting conversation. I think like you said with the, and it's so funny that like, they're they're actually called side hustles now because you know if you pay attention to like popular media or like social media they're like eh, everybody needs a side hustle and doing those things but yeah I, it's it's a super interesting conversation i and i think thankfully for me you know where i live i'm in a spot where i don't have to have a side hustle i mean technically this is our side hustle so um i do have one but like financially i don't need to have one but i think along that line too i I've learned the value of knowing the difference between something I want and something I actually need. I think the, the spending habit, and especially as a brand new teacher, I wish I would have listened to that podcast you did because man, if I would have learned that, uh, you know, tennis shoes, you can only like wear one pair at a time. And I don't know how many shirts and pairs of pants I bought that I wound up never wearing and stuff like that. So, but yeah, so that's cool. We we love to talk with teachers about the the podcast experience because it's been so it's been so fun for us, and I I think I've learned just so much over the last couple of years of doing our podcast and getting to have conversations mm -hmm. with teachers from all over. You know, we've we've had we have a buddy who's in Singapore who we've had two conversations with for our podcast. So that's been that has been super cool, and we really really appreciate the podcast format. So. You mentioned that you're quite the uh, instructional tech enthusiast. Enthusiast. So our question is, um, in your in your classrooms and when you work with teachers, how do you help them 
use technology as a way to to build the relationship because it it seems like sometimes teachers and maybe this is just because I see you know you like you see the parents in the grocery store the parents on a plane that just like hand a kid an iPad just to get them to quiet down and for me in my mind sometimes I I picture teachers doing the same thing like here's instructional technology just so you sit and don't get rowdier so I can and I and I have to be willing to admit, like there were times where I was like, my kids are on the computers today, so I can get these seven things that I need to get done done. So with that, you know, with what you do with technology, how do you incorporate the relationship into that? So I think it's kind of twofold. So working with my coworkers and kind of like teaching them, training them, and you know, building on their skill set, it's you know relationships first like technology is just something that we come together and talk about and you know i believe hardcore and like positivity and you know just doing random stuff for my coworkers you know even before this role in tech but you know just doing random stuff to say thank you or you're appreciated and things like that and i i just love like that kind of stuff cuz i like to get you know a little note here or there so i try to do that with my staff and then I feel like that kind of opens doors so that my coworkers will be like, Hey, Whitney, can you help me out with Google forms? Like, how do I do this and make it a quiz? Or how do I use this tech tool with my kids or whatever? And so I'm, you know, this is my second year in this tech role. And so I'm trying to build that rapport because there are some teachers, my school is really big. We have a staff of about 80. And so there's some teachers like I legit never see, but I am trying to work on building those relationships and get there so that we can talk about how to continue to improve all of our instructional practices, not just theirs, but mine as well. Like, and what they don't understand, what I feel like a lot of people don't understand is I'm learning just as much from them as they are maybe from me, or if not more, because you know, I'm seeing a different teaching style, a different way of doing things than the way that I have traditionally, you know, thought about myself. But then it goes into like technology with students and, you know, I, it's a tool. It's not, you know, I think some teachers are like hardcore, everything is techie or nothing is techie or occasionally I'll throw in something. And, you know, all of those can be positive, they can work. But in my classroom, I, especially working with special needs, tech, can be really good or it can be an extreme distraction. And so my students know that like, they're not allowed to have their devices out until like I say so, because I don't want that to be a distraction. I wanna work on building those relationships with those kids because that's first and foremost, because kids don't learn if they don't like you, they don't learn as much. I mean, that's a proven fact. And so I try to really like build those relationships, joke with them, do all those things that we as teachers just do. And, you know, and then say, all right, now go on to Flipgrid and do this. Or now can you go on this website and create this for me? And right now I have talked about it on our podcast, but it's just because I'm super pumped about it. It's super cool. But I teach a career readiness course for juniors and seniors. And so I'm preparing them for the workforce, whether they go to college or not. Most of these kids probably won't. Um, And that's okay. They probably can go out and make more than what I make right now, just going out and getting a normal job. Like, props to them. And so we're working on all these different things, but we're doing like a um, project-based learning activity where they're creating items on a 3D printer and then we're going to be marketing and selling them. And so 
I'm using tech in that and I have some kids creating flyers over here. I have some making a video to promote it. I have some kids that are still just designing because that's kind of their niche. I have other kids that are doing social media. And so, you know, that's not necessarily the basis of the classroom is the tech, but they're learning all the skills that they need mm -hmm. and putting them into practice that they'll actually use, you know, once they get a job. So it's really cool. It's really fun. I'm loving it. And you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I, I, I'm probably one of the more seasoned uh, teachers at my campus. Um, no old jokes, Kyle. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm... The, <laughs> I just saw the expression. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, you know, but for me being, you know, 12 years in education and one of the older teachers at the campus, I love technology. I love in, including it with the kids because like I tell them, most of these kids get smartphones and nobody teaches them how to use them. They, they learn mm -hmm. how to go through the phone and, and navigate all of the components of the phone and, and then is able to teach someone else what they can do and how they should do it and what runs best. They troubleshoot themselves. These are skills that they already have. But when we try to do the whole classroom experience where I'm gonna teach you something now, get on a computer, I do mine different. This is what we have to learn. Grab your computers. You, you have your research tools, your textbooks, you have websites, you know, they have these lists. Now go find this information and prepare for me a presentation that, that explains your understanding. I've found that these kids, I have kids creating Google Slides, you know, uh, slideshows with animations and things like that. Kids creating Powtoons and Flipgrids. And this is not stuff that I've introduced them to. This is stuff that they just know about and they're saying, can I do this? Can I create this? And, and people, you know, some of the younger teachers are like, well, I don't have time for that. They're not, they're not doing anything when they're on the computers. I'm like, but when you're on a job and you want to know how to do something and you don't know how to do it, either you're going to go ask somebody or you're going to Google it. I mean, we live in a Google age. Everything can be Googled, you know? And I think when you pre present kids with that model of, like you say, hands-on problem, project-based learning, every single time that they touch something, then the teacher becomes a facilitator as the kids go through and kind of push, you know, push through and struggle through, understand for themselves, because they teach themselves better than we can. They, we speak different languages. And so I, I like to hear you say that that's what you're doing, even with those kids, giving them those skills that they need, because that's, that's relationships and those soft skills are skills that will never go out of style and they're 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 in every single profession that we have so yeah exactly and with that like you know with this 3d printing like i've never done it before i didn't know really how to use this program and so i was like kids all right get on tinkercad figure it out and they're like miss chote how do i do this how do i do that and i'm like i have no I'm idea let's let's find out video <laughs> let's figure it out together and so mm -hmm. it's really cool that we're both learning all of this together at the same time I just, I, it's just phenomenal. It's been a great experience. I think I'm probably enjoying it a lot more than they are, but they're still enjoying it quite a bit. So, I mean, it's, it's fun all around. But they get to see their teacher as a student also. And that's mm -hmm. huge because I think that for so long, like they say, you're not that sage on the stage. You have to step out, out, out off the podium and be, almost become normalized to them. To say, you mm -hmm. know, I can learn with you. You know, I'm going to struggle through this just the same way with you. You know, I'll pull up a chair quick and be like, hey, show me how you did that. How'd you do those animations in Google Slides? I've been trying to do that myself. And for the kids to sit there and yeah. teach me, 
it shows me, number one, that they really understand it. And for them, it shows them that I'm willing, even as at my age, to show them that they, you know, everybody's voice matters and everybody can learn something from anybody. And that's just, like I say, that process of learning is something that we can't take for granted. That's more than just dumping information in. That's partnering with that learning process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I, it just struck me as so funny. And I, as she was saying that, I was thinking back to our conversation yesterday, Will, when you were talking about how important it is for teachers to learn Fortnite and like being involved in technology and the things that our, our kids are involved in and that they like is, is so important. And man, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm interested, Whitney, from your perspective, you know, what, what are the most common struggles, concerns that teachers have as they're, as they're trying to implement technology? I think the biggest thing that I see and even experience myself, honestly, is getting to that moment of frustration where you are really trying to learn it, use this new tool or this new website or whatever, and you just want to like throw the computer across the room. <laughs> and a lot of times that's when people contact me like, oh, Whitney, I've been trying to do blah, 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 blah. And I just, I, I've been trying to do it for an hour and I just, I don't know how to make it work. And I'm like, so I think a lot of that when those issues happen and different things, I have to come in and try to like de-escalate the situation, kind of like I do with my students, like calm them down, like it'll be all right, like no big deal, it's all cool, like you know, let's let's work it through, let's try to figure this out together, and you know, just like working on that relationship aspect more again, more than the technology aspect. Like yeah, the tech is the issue, but let's you know, let's build our relationship together. So maybe next time you'll holler at me a little bit earlier or you'll, I can show you a tool so you can figure out the answer. Like whether it's YouTubing or Google or, Hey, why don't you try this before you, you know, run to the tech department or you run to ask me or something like that. And, you know, I've had those issues with our podcast. Like we had some technical issues in February and we were down, not, getting any listens or subscribing because we were fighting with iTunes and trying to get things. It was a hot mess. And I, there were multiple days I wanted to throw my computer, you know, across the ground. And, you know, my co-host was de-escalating me because I'm a perfectionist. I want it done. I want it done it right. And I want it done it right now. And he was like, it'll be all right. It's all cool. Like, and doing that exact same thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's really not that big of a deal in the long run. Like, it sucks, but it is what it is. We'll get it figured out. And we did, and we're back up and running, you know, rocking and rolling, but. <laughs> right, right. And it's just so interesting to me, like, it's so strange because I've heard and I've uh, stories and I've, I've read articles that there are a lot of more affluent schools who are going back away from technology. And it's just so strange to me how, how quickly the pendulum swings from everyone is going to implement technology. And then as the lower income schools finally get it, now the more affluent schools are going back the other direction. I mean, do you, do you see that bearing out in schools? Do you, do you have that perspective or is that just something that's kind of out there in the ether? That has definitely been something I've been seeing more of just in the last two months, like reading like news articles and different things. And 
you know, I, I think that's just how education rolls. Like, you know, seeing my mom deal with different issues and having her say, yeah, we dealt with that 10 years ago. Now it's back. Like, and it just has a new acronym or, you know, different things. Like it, it goes away and it comes back. It goes away and it comes back. And so I think probably that, you know, some schools will pull away from this and, you know, maybe completely remove a lot of these things or, you know, go back to an old school computer lab or something like that maybe. But you know, at the same time, I think it's really, the issue is, is teaching our teachers how to use it effectively, not as a babysitter, not as a replacement for you as the teacher, but as a tool. Let's, you know, again, like in my classroom, like I'm probably one of the few like tech specialists that I'm like, you don't have to use your computer every day in your classroom. I use them maybe two or three times a week mm -hmm. and for short increments. You know, I don't use them all day, every day. I don't have my students going on in self-learning. That's a great tool. That's a great way to teach some in some aspects. But with my special needs students, you know, having them self-pace and do the stuff like I've done in graduate school, like where they work their way through Moodle or Google Classroom on their own time, that's not and that's not good for my kids. And I think as a teacher, you just have to figure out what's best for your kids and how to implement that effectively and not just turn a worksheet into an online worksheet, not just use, you know, once you get done with your work, you can watch YouTube as a reward because they're just going to rush through it. It's not going to be quality content, you know? And so it's just finding that balance. But I think you said the right word. You said we have to teach teachers how mm -hmm. to use it because I, I am, I, I tell teachers all the time, when my kids are on the computer, I'm still busy in my room, walking around, talking and having conversations with those kids because I'm watching everything that they're doing. I'm, I'm monitoring, not just from a monitoring standpoint, but when I see a kid spending more time on a problem than they should, then I can go over there and say, hey, you know, I see you're struggling. You know, what can I help walk you through? And I say, that's not time that you sit back. And as Kyle was saying, oh, let me see if I can get these seven things done real quick. It's, it's a time where you say, I'm using this tool and I have to sit here and make sure that you're using the tool effectively. And mm -hmm. I'm using it not as a babysitter, not as a co-teach, but as a, as like you say, a support tool to engage students. You know, some of my students say, Mr. Law, I don't like the computer. You know, the computer's mm -hmm. kind of intimidating. I don't want to use it. That's great. But I still know that that's a skill that you're going to have to have in just about every profession. So I need to get, I need to help you get over that fear. But at the same time, I know that for you, I'm going to limit the time that you're on it because you already have an issue with it, but I'm going to slowly wing you into using mm -hmm. it and seeing how to appropriately use it to get what you need and then go back to doing what you need to do. And um, in my classroom, I mean, I go from my, my smart board to my whiteboard in a heartbeat because I teach mathematics. So mm -hmm. I could be short an example and be like, okay, now let's tie this into the equation. And then I move to the other board and now I'm writing it out with my dry erase. And the kids see me going from digital to mm -hmm. pencil and paper, digital pencil and paper. So they like, okay, so that's, I can look here to get this and then go here and do this. That's teaching them a valuable skill that they need. And they, they like I say, they're gonna need that for the rest of their lives pretty much as long as they're employed. For sure. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm interested kind of on the same vein, Whitney, though, um, 
you know, we hear a lot in schools, dig, the term digital citizenship and, you know, schools have their papers that go home to parents and that kids sign that say these are the rules for digital citizen, citizenship. But I'm more interested in what you see digital citizenship really being and, and how those lessons translate to, to the real world because I don't know how many times a day we see stories of people who say or do things online that wind up giving them real world consequences. And the example I'm, I'm thinking of is, is recently there was a, a basketball game in Utah where a guy was taunting a player and the player said he was saying racially charged things and the guy denied it. And then sure enough, as soon as it happened, somebody went onto his Twitter feed and you found the N-word all over his Twitter feed. Hmm. And, and thus, the guy got banned from the Utah Jazz Stadium for life. So, you know, there, there are those examples out there. But, but more importantly for teachers and for kids, like, what, what does digital citizenship mean to you and what does it look like? I mean... With me, like, yeah, there's the formalized digital citizenship, blah, 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 all that stuff, the formalized stuff. But I really, I mean, the go down to the basics, the bare bones is teaching kids how to use technology responsibly. And that's what I'm trying to do, like, in my career readiness course. Like, let's use Instagram and Facebook, because I know Instagram's their jam. Like, you know, let's use that to showcase our product, what we're doing in class. Let's make people excited about it instead of, posting scandalous pictures or trying to get some boy or girl's attention, you know, or something like that. Let's do it for a professional way and show how the positive side of social media or, you know, let's make a video on Flipgrid and post it to YouTube or, you know, do something like that that shows what we're learning and how cool, like, the body system is and different things where uh, instead of making a video of you cussing while you're playing a video game or something like those are cool like watching you know I know the kids love watching other people play video games but like using professional language and you know saying being prim and proper and you know just authentic but still professional and doing that across all levels, whether like last semester we had students create resumes, cover letters, and those different things, and then they actually went on a job interview. And, you know, just, again, using that technology and making it applicable to their life and still being professional. I think that's the key. And I mean, I think the key word in that is just citizenship. What does it mean to be a good citizen, to be a good neighbor, to be a good friend? translate that exact same thing online. I mean, it's just the exact. And I think that's kind of the struggle, at least where I'm at, because I work in a low-income school, and so there's some rough neighborhoods and some different things that these kids, bless their hearts, have to go home and deal with, and there's not a good sense of citizenship where they live or in their home or, you know, outside of the school. And so that gets brung into the school. So we're having to go back to basics even before technology is even introduced. What makes a good citizen? Well, you need to pick up your trash that you left on my desk, like, you know, or you need to open a door for a woman or, you know, just those basic, you know, niceties that make you, you know, quote unquote, good human being. And, you know, we're doing the exact same thing. And, you know, and I, I believe, 
you know, I think it was uh, Dr. James Comer who said that no significant learning can take place without a significant relationship. And I believe that that significant relationship that we engage with students revolves around us creating parameters in which our that we hold our students accountable for staying within. And that makes way for learning opportunities to, to take place throughout. And the kids learn, you know, I tell my kids, I hear them throwing out the N-word and they're doing this out in, in the classroom. And, and, I, and I just go to them honestly and I'm like, you know, I understand that's how you talk at, at home. I, I can't be mad at you. I can't sit here and, and, and say to you that I haven't thrown it out in my circle of friends that I hang out with. Just can't, I, I won't, my hands are dirty with that. But there's a time and a place that we use that word. And this is neither that time nor that place. Because if someone else said it towards you, you'd be ready to fight and be in an uproar. But when you mm -hmm. say it freely like that, you give them permission to. And so, it, you know, some of the teachers are like, you know, you need to write them up. You need to do this. No, they, this, it, it, you know, they're code switching. They've not been taught to do. Mm -hmm. And exactly. we have to, we have, and their parents are not going to teach them because they most of the time don't know how to code switch. You know, so we're having to teach them that this is neither the time nor the place. Not saying that that's not, that's not needed because you really may need that when you get home. You don't, mm -hmm. you don't need to be, you know, Nancy, nice girl at home because everybody else is coming at you like fiery darts. I need you to protect yourself, but I need you to stay here. It's a protected space and you don't have to use that. You don't have to become that in order to get your point across. Here's the alternative. And I think that's what makes the difference in, you know, you can't tell a kid what can and can't say. You know, I was <laughs> at a football game and I heard a parent, kid curse the another kid told the mom the mom said oh i told him it's okay for him to curse as long as he's not cursing me out <laughs> yep and that's a yeah. very real thing right so we can't tell them what to do but we can tell that in this place you can't do that that's not that's right. not appropriate for here and just teaching them those parameters so yeah mm. yeah yeah good perfect so <sighs> Yeah, we definitely want to be respectful of your time on your one spring break. Uh, Will, you, do you got the uh, the questions in front of you there? I do. Do you want to wrap up with the last three since those questions are your baby right there? <laughs> My babies, sure. Um, <clears throat> so I, am, I, I consider myself to be the relationship person. I believe that that is the paramount piece. And I heard you say that in the beginning. Um, but what, what have you learned and how have you grown from the relationship you've had with your students within your career? Oh, that's a deep question. I think in the last year or so, I think I've learned more from my coworkers. Um, I've learned a lot from my students and I can touch on that in a second, but I really think like, you know, with my kids, I believe in them and I support them and I do all of this stuff for my kids and I'm their cheerleader. But these last couple of years, my coworkers have really done that for me. And I think that, you know, they've pushed me into things that I didn't think I was capable of doing like this tech role what like me teaching other teachers no i was only going to teach kids like i don't do adults and now i'm doing this i'm owning it and i i'm really seeing myself grow as um 
a professional and just as a person. And so taking that and seeing what my coworkers have done for me and applying, you know, continuing to apply that to my kids and seeing how that actually does benefit and change. And, you know, a couple of my coworkers that have pushed me, they, you know, I, they've either moved schools or they're, we don't have as close of a relationship for numer you know, whatever reason, but they were an integral part of that. And, you know, being that with my students, like I'm only in their lives for a short period of time. Some of them, it's only a couple of weeks because they transfer here and there and everywhere. And some of them, you know, it's four years because I do have them in high school. But, you know, I am an integral part, whether how big or small, but, you know, I can push them. And, you know, I have a sign that hangs above my doorway in my room. And I think it's, um, really like paramount. It says, I believe in you. I trust you. You are listened to, you're cared for, you are important and you will succeed. And, mm. you know, when my kids are struggling, I'm like, Hey, look at this sign. Let's read it together. And just reiterating that that relationship is the most important thing. And that, you know, even if there's nobody else on this earth that believes in that kid, you know, I do. And I'm supporting them with whatever decisions that they choose and, you know, trying to help them be the best person that they can be to live up to whatever potential that they have, whether that's going to college or whether that's rocking out a job or, you know, some of them, it might be just learning how to tie their shoe, whatever that potential is. I don't care. I want you to achieve that. And I just want them to know that I'm there and I'm supporting them. Absolutely. Mm. Wow. That was great. So, um, on that kind of same note, what is one thing that you think all students should be taught? I think that that, that like that sign on my door, that's what that is, that they're important, that they have value and that they can make a change. You know, even if that's a small change, you know, oh gosh, there's so many different stories out there or like little like parables, but like, you know, if you just plant one seed and you walk away, you never touch it again, that seed could grow into a huge oak tree and do all sorts of different things, but you'll never see what happens because of it. And, you know, I think that's true with our kids. It's like, you know, it's hard for them to see that and to understand that concept, but, you know, that they can make a difference, whether it's picking up a piece of trash or, you know, going to this job versus that job or being nice to that student or the student or whatever that situation may be. And, you know, it's inspiring that movement of change. Oh. Mm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, yeah, I'm just digesting that. Cause that, like I said, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> my big thing is, is I believe every student needs to be taught their value. And I love that, that you said that because I, it breaks my heart when I hear some of the things that the kids say about themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I have to be there to remind them, no, you're, you're better than that. You're greater than that. You know, I have, I call them my, I, my, I believes uh, that our kids, we, you know, my kids quote every day and um, we have to instill that in them. Like that is like the number one principle. Cause that again, not, not a shot at the podcast, but value adds value. 
when that kid realizes how valuable they are, then every situation they enter in, they bring that value to that situation. And then now that situation has increased in value. And now that situation grows and it keeps going. And it's possible to break that cycle you know, of, of whatever it is that's, that's been in your past. You know, I grew up, you know, single mom, divorced parents, you know, daddy was an alcoholic and, you know, all of these things and watching all the stuff that I watched, but hey, guys, I made it. You know what I mean? I, I, I made it out. And, and it's not me taking, you know, like you say, I'm not praising myself, but I am praising myself in a sense that despite what I came through, Mm -hmm. I made it and so can you. You know, success yeah. doesn't have success doesn't have a regard of a person. It's going to come to whoever works for it. And I think tying in with that too, a lot of times because of the home lives of my kids, I have to reassure my kids, I love you no matter what. I may not love your decisions or your behaviors, but I love and support you as a person and despite whatever choices you make that's not going to change because a lot of these kids have conditional relationships mm. you know their parents love them conditionally and i think that's what's really hard is to see that and so i just try to be that you know lighthouse that something that's always there that's always stable and you know that is always going to you know be there for them despite whatever else is going on you mentioned the lighthouse. He has it right mm -hmm. there on my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, so the last question before we get out, I want to again thank you so much for taking the time this morning um, to chat with us. Um, and we're going to let you enjoy your spring day. Uh, <laughs> um, as an educator, what do you want your legacy to be? Man, that's like a tough question. Like, it's so deep and it's so wide and I don't know how to really, you know, uh, explain it. But I guess, you know, I mentioned before, I always want my students, whatever their full potential is. I've always said that, you know, back in college when we had to write our teaching philosophy, I want my students to reach their full potential. Um, and again i may only be in a student's life for like a week a month or you know a couple of years but no matter how long that they're in my life i hope that i inspire them to be the best version of themselves um and then you know i help them to the next stepping stone that's in their life whatever that may be and i think this goes for my coworkers and my staff and any sort of relationship in my life as well and i just want to be a positive inspiring role model. I know probably 50 years from now, some people, you know, like, you know, who cares if my name is famous or not? Like I'm, you know, I didn't get into teaching for the fame or the money, you know, <laughs> and yeah. I got into it to change lives and to inspire and the way that I had different educators inspire me. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So where can people connect with you online that want to ask questions, connect with you, uh, learn about more about what you're doing and especially with the podcast too. Yeah, sure. Um, I am on Twitter at Chote Notes, C-H-O-A-T-E. Um, and then our uh, podcast is um, tough, tough Talk with Teachers, but our handle is um, 
tough teacher TLK, or you can find us, um, uh, our website is uh, toughtalkwithteachers.weebly.com. Perfect. Well, thank you, Whitney, so much. We really enjoyed getting a chance to have you on our podcast. Yeah, this was a great conversation. Yeah. Loved it. Awesome.